2: Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Dan Nathan, Steve Grasso, Victoria Fernandez, and James McDonald. Tonight on Fast, a big call on bonds. The chart master's sounding the alarm in the Treasury market. Just wait until you hear where Carterworth sees yields headed. Plus, we're going bargain hunting in Techland. A handful of big names are well off. They're 52-week highs. Any of them worth a second look? And later, knock on wood, why one of our traders says ARK Invest, Kathy Wood, is facing a major moment of truth, the one chart that may explain it all. But we start off tonight with that big warning in the bond market. As stocks hit record highs once again today, the yield in the 10-year fell to its lowest level since March 3rd. And the chart master says rates are going to collapse even further from here. Cornerstone Macro's Carter Worth is here to break it down. Kick it off, Russ Carter.
3: You bet I mean uh, so hard to know, of course, but it's, it's such an important subject, and it's obviously one of the biggest single securities there is the 10 year treasury bond, and where yields are, where rates are determine valuation for equities and mortgages, and so so much of this um, it really matters and my hunch is that this weakness is not over, and that there is uh, more downside to go basically we 're looking as low as one two five now. You know, we'll look at a few charts, but is that that much, meaning we're at 1.45 now? We'll see. So, four charts. The first is the channel uh, that yields have been ascending uh, since last summer. And so when this was introduced, at least I'm sure other people have their own channels, but in our, in our uh, work, we've relied on it heavily. And, in fact, you see those arrows there i have tried to make some tactical calls in, in TLT and uh, the Treasury market. now. The issue is, uh, starting in late May, when we approached the bottom of the channel once again, we didn't really approach the bottom of the channel. Rates went sideways. They stalled. And the channel, by simply rising, they met. They bumped into one another. That's an arbitrary moment in time. You don't get a bounce off the lower end of a channel if you haven't come down to it. If you just meandered sideways and it's come up to you, nothing happens. And indeed, we've broken below. And you can see that on the chart. Now, the second chart... And this is why uh, this week we retired the channel, if you will, uh, with honor, so to speak. The second chart shows why the channel is no longer relevant. And that line drawn there, that is June 30. For rates to be uh, in the channel, rates would have to go back to 182 in the next 13 trading sessions. That's not likely to happen. Take a look at the next chart. That second um, line drawn, that's July 30. Rates would have to be at 2.1 in order to get back into the channel. By July 30, I would say the odds of that are zero. So the question is, um, why down? Uh, this, this is so unexpected for consensus, this move lower. I, um, I, I think it's, 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 it's got more to go. And uh, the final chart, and uh, you could say this is arbitrary, but it's really not. The 1.25 level, you'll see where I've drawn the line. All of the moving yields was done in about 30 days. It was basically the last uh, days of January to February. It went from 1% to 177. And all we've been doing since, and it's already mid-June, is slumping. And I think the slump continues.
2: All right, Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton Worth, will see you in a few minutes on Options Action. All right, in a world in which yields hit 125, Dan, what, what does that look like? I mean, in terms of the economy, does that mean that we're in for a slowdown of some sort? Well, it's really
4: funny. If you think back to after the financial crisis, do you remember like in 2010, 11, 12, the obsession was a double dip recession, right? And it gave the Fed a lot of cover to kind of keep ZERP and keep the quantitative easing the way it was. And I think it's really important to kind of think back to what that playbook was. I I know a lot has changed, but think about the taper tantrum in 2013. We saw the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield go to 3% uh, 3 or so. But once they started tapering, the yield went all the way down to 1.5%. And they didn't start coming off that zero interest rate bound until 2015, late 2015. So to Carter's point, I think Tim mentioned this last night, if the tapering is coming and if the data is getting maybe a little weaker, we just had those two hot CPI prints, but we've had two disappointing jobs prints. If the if the data is weaker, maybe they start to taper a little bit. They, they're going to sell off the corporate bonds. Maybe they buy less MBS is one thought, but maybe rates can come into that 200-day moving average in the in the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield down near 1.15. that's
2: sort of the opposite. I mean, just to fill in people who who didn't watch, I mean, I know some of you may not have caught fast money yesterday, (laughs) which is shocking, but that happens. Um, Tim Seymour was making the point that perhaps what we're seeing in terms of the slump in yields is that the bond market is anticipating a couple of steps ahead of the stock market that the Fed will, in fact, begin to taper because inflation is, in fact, transitory. We get the economy reopened. They move to taper. Bonds uh, go up, sure. yields go down.
1: But what happens if, we, if the, the simple answer is we entered, we entered this into, in a deflationary environment? So Chairman Powell said that there was no inflation. What happens if there is no inflation? Is that bad for the markets? Is it good for the markets? It was good for the markets back then. So what happens now if the, what you just said is that, is, does that, is that indicative of a slump in the economy? I think it's indicative that the market's going to run higher. Because the Fed is going to be accommodative. We're going to have Uh squishy financial policy and no inflation. So doesn't that make you think that assets or certain risk assets can continue to move higher? The problem is can value move higher? So we've seen growth into value. What does value do?
2: Well, in a world in which yields are one two, five, let's say, uh, Victoria, I mean, you would think that this gives a, a massive reprieve for, for the tech trade, in particular, the high valuation stocks across the tech trade or across industries for that matter.
5: You're right. So you talk about the growth and the value trade. Well, that should be a little boost in the arm um, of the growth trade. Those are the stocks that got hit so hard when we saw yields move back up in March, but that the yields were moving so much higher because people didn't have faith in what the Fed was saying. They didn't believe that inflation was going to be transitory. And I think there's kind of been a consolidation of thought there. I think the market now believes probably the majority of inflation is transitory, not all of it, but the majority. You're going to get a smaller infrastructure package. So it makes sense that yields of Come down a little bit. What I'm hoping we see, not just because I manage taxable fixed income portfolios, but I hope we see rates turn around and go a little bit higher as the base effects roll off and we do see kind of a handoff of inflation from transitory to wages to rents, things that are a little stickier. Europe starts to open up and pulls our yields higher that way as well. And so I think we can see rates, yes, they might come down in the short term, but I think we'll see a steeper yield curve with the Fed maintaining where they are and inflation expectations starting to rise again as we get towards the end of the year.
2: James, what's your take on on a world in which uh, yields go to one, two, five?
6: We've been looking at correlations for equities uh, for some time with rates being a risk factor. Uh, And we've seen a lot of buying interest in tech uh, correlated with this uh, drop in treasuries here, not just this past week, but really for the past month. And it also coincides with new potential 52-week highs. Uh, We're seeing that with the S&P. We've seen it with the Russell close. uh, And now NASDAQ is getting back up there. We'd seen most pressure in the market around tech. And I know we're going to talk about some big tech names later in the show, uh, but we're knocking on another 52-week high. And I think that this move in treasuries is somewhat of an indicator uh, of sentiment in terms of the equities going higher with this rate move, with rates haven 't been in a discussion about risk before, so I think it's not necessarily reactionary, but I think it's correlated. I think tech is going to be the benefactor.
4: Yeah, so, Mel, you just mentioned the, what are some of the trades, right, off of a lower interest rate environment, which a lot of people, I think, the rest of the panel has just said are not really positioned for. And you think in the, the stock market, some of the things that we're seeing. So you mentioned a big big cap tech has caught this bid. What about cat? What about deer? Some of these cyclical names, industrials that you saw a major rotation is that people were coming out of tech. into the, Those things are rolling over right now. We were talking last night about home builders. And, you know, think about some of the input costs that we've seen in there. We've seen lumber come in 30 percent from those recent That seemed like a frenzy. We're talking about, well, those are the sorts of supply demand imbalances that we've seen, at least over my career, that have really fixed themselves. They tend to be pretty transitory. I don't think that there's anything going to be structurally changed about how Americans live. You know what I mean? Um, That that sort of thing. Um, So, you know, at the end of the day, I think if you look under the hood, um, we're going to get really comfortable with money going back into big cap tech. We know the moats. We know the monopolies. We know the managements, that sort of thing. And then you might see some of these things that kind of overshot to the upside that did overshoot to the downside during the throes of the pandemic sell-off, they may start to come in and kind of get to a level where valuations make a little bit more sense and where they're not over-anticipating a but overly strong thing, economy. What you're
1: talking about is the infrastructure plan that Victoria uh, spoke about. Yeah. If it's only 6 or 8% mm-hmm. real bridges, tunnels, roads... How can a cat, a deer, or a URI really run? You because think we're that talking about a different run. the
2: entire run for those stocks, though, was predicated on an infrastructure bill passing? No, I think, or there, or I think that was, that it was rates going higher,
1: reopening, reopening and yeah. Right, right, so, right. so I, that, that's that's where I have been perplexed because I, when you look at rates rolling over, cat should be sold. When you look at the economy reopening, cat should be bought regardless of where rates are. So that's where I am. I'm somewhere in the middle right now. But where now. are you on, on on chemicals and materials? I'm and still being... long them because they've all doubled. They've all, all these chemical names uh-huh. have doubled. So I'm still long them, but they are definitely flattening out. And to Dan's point, they are not at their highs. They're probably 15, 20 percent off their highs, but they're still 40, 50, 80 percent higher than when I bought them. So I'm sort of waiting for this reopening to to happen to see what how gangbusters the economy goes, because that's what I think is going to happen.
2: If the bond market's already two steps, I mean, in theory, if the bond market is in fact two steps ahead of the stock market, Victoria, then that would tell me that it is time to rotate out of this reopening trade. It's time to get out of materials. It's time to get out of cyclicals. What's your take on on where to be right now if if the bond market is right. Well,
5: Melissa, I know people don't like to hear the the word barbell when it comes to their portfolio, but I think this is the exact environment when a barbell portfolio makes perfect sense. And it's exactly because of what Steve was talking about. Some of the moves that we've seen really don't coincide with what you would expect with a reopening trader with rates moving lower. So do you have exposure to some of those growth names, those even secular growth names, some of the tech names? Absolutely. I think you need them in your portfolio. Does that mean you completely come out of your cyclical names? Not at all. I mean, I think you need a deer. You need a Honeywell. We own those in our portfolio. You need a JP Morgan in your portfolio. You need to have some of those cyclical components as well. This is where things are going to get really tough, whereas maybe the last year it was easier to jump in on a sector or jump in on a theme and do well regardless. Now the fundamentals are really going to come into play. Stock picking is going to be key. You really need to pick your names and look at the balance sheets. But I think the barbell approach works.
2: James. I haven't known you for a long time, but I don't feel like you're a barbell kind of guy. Whoa, Um, whoa. Is that an insult? No, 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 no. I mean, using a barbell as opposed to investing style, two different things. But um, how would you characterize your portfolios now at this juncture in the market?
6: I agree with Victoria. You have to be very disciplined about analyzing the merits of an individual security, uh, both in the context of its individual fundamental performance and in the context of the environment it plays in. i think we're late cycle equities here uh, we keep knocking on 52-week highs there have been record after record set uh, and we're in an unusual period of monetary policy and so i think examining the metrics within a specific security within the specific space uh, and then obviously suitability we're all growth focused here at hercules and so uh, we are definitely analyzing individual securities because i think there's going to be a flight to quality uh, as markets will need to get choppy coming into the summer and coming into the fall Uh, as we see how the reopening actually performs.
4: Yeah, you know, James just mentioned the word choppy, and I think back to the post-financial crisis. I just mentioned the obsession with the, the the double dip recession fears, but also global growth. This was a rolling credit crisis. If you recall, we came out of it first, and then it was in Europe, and then it was Asia. And if you think back to 15 and 16, when we were trying to normalize our interest rate policy, we tossed some, tons of volatility across over every major asset class, specifically about China growth and that sort of thing. So I think that the idea that we're just going to be Reopen and it's off to the races for the next decade doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense, especially when you consider in 2021 we've had about three peak-to-trough declines, about four and a half percent. Those are pretty run-of-the-mill here. So if there's any reason to sell off, I think the the complacency is very high. You saw the VIX trade 15 and today. Um, it seems like we could be ready for some sort of growth, sort of scare um, in the not-so-distant future.
2: Up next, everyone's favorite stock-picking game. That's right, a Friday edition of Traded or Faded. We we're tackling a few beaten-down tech names or any of Them worth a second look. Plus, the one chart that shows Kathy Wood is facing a major moment of truth, what it is and why it matters. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two.
7: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
0: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. The Nasdaq handy in its fourth straight week of gains. That hasn't happened since January. The index is now up nearly 5% in just the past month. But not everyone has come along for the ride. A handful of names are well off their 52-week high. So we thought it'd be a great time to play a little game of trade it or fade it. Let's kick it off with Peloton, 34% off its 52-week high. Dan, what do you say?
4: Yeah, I say you trade it. I mean, here's the thing. The stock's still down 25% um, on the year here. Um, You know, listen, I think it's a little nuanced, Mel. I think you trade it into it making its right shoulder of a head and shoulders (laughs) top. Because I think it's about ready to kind of make one last push higher. You know, maybe you see 120 125 or so, but then you want to sell it. Listen, the company had that really bad period of PR, the whole tread thing. Mine went back. I'm very sorry to say it. But, you know, great company, great streaming service. And trading at a pretty reasonable valuation relative to where it was six months ago.
2: Right. Mm -hmm. And we have interest rates lower, so that could help this trade at least for now. Grasso, what do you say? I'm on the right shoulder trade. I'm
1: a fader
4: (laughs) of Peloton. Peloton. Just a smaller shoulder than small, I think. It's a smaller
1: yeah. shoulder, but I think we're at, we've reached peak Peloton. I said this when it was about a buck twenty in the stock. It definitely traded off, so to Dan's point, pop back. You might have a little bit left of a burst there, but negative PR. And what are people doing? They're going back out to gyms. So it's going to be a hard sell. I say you fade this one.
2: All right. Next up, I do a whopping 47% off the 52-week high. Victoria, trade it or fade it?
5: Yeah, I think when you look at where we are right now, like you said, 40 percent off the high, we're down 14, 15 percent on the year. This is traded for us. We like the longer term secular growth component of it. They had great earnings. Their guidance was really good. I mean, I think they were 14 to 24% was the guidance for revenue growth for next year. They have the live streaming platform that they're bringing on. And when you look at the advertising component and the part of their business that's really sticky where they're managing companies' websites, that grew tremendously too, over 20%. So I think there's some runway here because it has pulled back so far, we would go ahead and trade it.
2: Dan?
4: You know, I'm fading it right here. I think Victoria made a great bull case, but she said uh, long term. And, and so right now, this stock acts so horribly. And I do agree with her on a valuation basis. If you're expecting mid to high teens, uh, EPS and sales growth and it's trading about 16 and a half times next year. That makes perfect sense. But from a trading perspective right now, it does not act well. It's very heavy. And some of the headlines in China in general are not particularly great. So I am fading it.
2: All right, let's get to Zoom here. 38% off its 52-week high. James, trade it or fade it. Hmm. Well, if we can read lips. All right, you know what? Can I I jump Uh, in
4: or Steve, do you want to do it?
2: I'm going to go to Victoria when we stream this out. Victoria, what do you say?
5: So we're going to trade it, and that's actually a different stance for us. During the past year, we did not like... Names like Zoom, we saw them as really as a pandemic play. But I mean, even in our company, we're upgrading our Zoom subscription this week. We have our new CIO, Bob Dahl. He's doing a big presentation. We didn't have enough capacity for people to join it. We had to upgrade. And I think as Zoom becomes more of the part of the day-to-day business plan of companies going forward and not just a pandemic solution, then it's opened up the runway. It's no longer gonna be quite as volatile. We're not gonna get the same growth that we saw over the last year, but I do think there's some potential runway here for Zoom.
2: All right, James, we can hear you now. What do you say?
6: Sorry about that. I think that Zoom was a benefactor of a situation and the situation changed. And that was everybody was working from home. Everybody had to figure out how to move on with life in the pandemic. And it got a tremendous lift from that uh, since late October, since the vaccine was announced, it's been all downhill here. And I've got to expect that that trajectory is gonna continue as we go back to normal. Important tool, an important uh, communication medium uh, but it was getting the tailwinds of a situation that has completely changed.
2: All right, we finish this game off with Qualcomm, 20% off 52-week highs. Grosso. I'm willing to
1: give this one the benefit of the doubt. This one is in the growth bucket, and rates are definitely uh, coming in, and I think the trajectory is lower for rates, so an easier glide path for growth. Qualcomm is in that glide path. Just broke out of its declining trend line. It's down uh, basically for the year but I'm willing to say trade this one. James.
6: We're halfway through the year almost, and it's continuing to suffer. I think that uh, relative to the tech sector, relative to the computer sector, earnings look good year over year, revenues look good. Uh, it's PE and forward uh, our earnings growth multiples even better than the sector, but it's continually losing money. And I think this is gonna be a fade for some time.
2: All right. Coming up, the options traders are signing on and doing a deep dive on a top software name. Options action kicks off in just a few minutes. But first, a moment of truth for the ARC Innovation ETF. If you are in this trade, we have the one chart that you need to see. We'll bring it to you when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. If you're in Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation ETF, you might want to knock on wood, so to speak. The fund has been climbing back the last few weeks after seeing a big route in the spring. But Dan says we're coming up against a critical moment for this trade. So what do you see?
4: Yeah, let's just look at that one-year chart. You look at that downtrend. It went from 160 to 100. We talked about it earlier in the week. And it's just had that really nice bounce here. And it's trading right at its 200-day moving average. This is just purely from a technical standpoint. And that is a smoothing mechanism, as our friend CBW likes to say here. Look at that chart right there. I just think it's a, a really critical spot. Yes, it's great that it's over that downtrend. But if it fails at the 200-day, which it did a few weeks ago, we could be retesting 100 again. All that being said, look at the top holdings. We know that Tesla is about 10%. We know Square and Roku and Teladoc and a lot of these – controversial names, maybe high valuation, high growth names. So th- really why this is important to me just from a sentiment standpoint, we know this isn't about meme stocks. This is about companies that are about to change the world. That's what she thinks is going to happen, but high valuations.
2: Right. But again, I feel like it all comes back to interest rates
1: and it certainly does. And so does this trade, Grosso. It, it does. And when you look on a chart, it's actually, I was looking at the 50 week moving average as well. And it's the same exact as the 200-day moving average. So it's staggered there right below, and it's been playing games with it. It's done this a lot, and it does look like it's set up to fail. Mm -hmm. But if interest rates continue to move lower, you're going to get the bids in all of these top 10 names that Dan, Dan just pointed out.
2: Victoria, do any of these high valuation names fit on any end of the barbell that you have?
5: Well, I think they can. Um, I mean, you have names like Square that I think will do well going forward. They're part of that kind of secular growth as well. We think they're gonna do well like the credit cards are gonna do well going forward. That's maybe part of that reopening trade, but. You do have the really volatile names like a Tesla that we don't own in our large cap portfolio. We don't want to own it there. I think you have to be careful. And like you said, it comes down to rates. If you think Carter worth is right and we get down to a one and a quarter on the 10 year and it stays there, then mm-hmm. this is your opportunity to get in. I don't think it is. I think yields are going higher. We're going to have a steeper curve.
2: And a lot of these names are going to pay with that. All right. Let's get to the final trade around the horn. We go James McDonald.
6: SKIN, $20 price target on this vanity plate.
2: That was your fast pitch. Victoria Fernandez. Oracle is my trade.
5: It's at 15 times right now, much less than the other names there. And I think the catalyst for it is it's cloud space going forward.
4: Dan Nathan. Yeah, so large cap pharma has been volatile. I like Pfizer here playing for a move back to those prior all-time highs.
1: Steve Gasso. Fisker, EV again in play FSR. Rates going lower. This one caught a bid, bounced aggressively, will continue to do so.
2: All right, that does it for us here on FAST.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration.